I, I was fascinated with because I had read a book uh, about a, some kind of story about a boy with a seeing eye dog, and I was fascinated with seeing eye dogs, and so I decided one day to put on that blindfold and use my dog Tippy as my seeing eye dog. Uh, he had not been trained in seeing eye skills. Uh, Tippy had three legs, hence Tippy. This was before. Uh, it, this was back in the days before political correctness was invented. Amen. That was actually kind of a good day. So, uh, so I had a three-legged dog leading a blind boy. He was no help at all to me. In fact, he took the opportunity, I think, to bang me into as many things as he possibly could, probably getting revenge for his name. Uh, but blindness is a tremendous disability. Many people have to deal with it. 1.3 million people in the United States uh, are blind, legally blind. And uh, I thought it'd be interesting just to give you the perspective of a blind person this morning. Uh, I'm going to show you a, a quick video here. And uh, today we're going to talk a bit about blindness. But I, this will give us a little bit of perspective if you watch this. Uh, guys, you turn that on. We'd like volume if we could. I don't know if that's a possibility. It's, an, it's about blindness, not deafness. So if, we're, <laughs> if it was about deafness, we'd just sit there and watch a guy talk. <laughs> Is it going to happen or we need to move on? All right. So anyway, it was interesting. He was, uh, it was kind of a perspective. Thankfully, it has nothing to do with the message, so you're not really missing out. But uh, it has to do, to do with the perspective of what uh, some thoughts from a blind person. But it is a tragedy for those of us who can see uh, to take it for granted. We are grateful to have that ability today. The scene of our text today is the city of Jericho. Now, the old city of Jericho, Jericho lies in ruins. And, and obviously, you know the story about how Joshua took that city. But the new city is more affluent and at this time of, of Christ. And, and uh, Jesus, however, has never been to Jericho in his earthly ministry. But he has been there before. If you go to your Bible, don't do that now, but in Joshua chapter 5, we read what we call an Old Testament Christophany. That is when Jesus Christ makes a showing in the Old Testament. Joshua is standing outside the walls of the city of Jericho, knowing they're going to have to take this city. It is surrounded by absolutely impenetrable walls. There's no way a, the greatest army could take it, much less the Israelites. And so he's wondering, how in the world are they going to be able to take this city? And then it says in verse 13 of Joshua 5, He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man out against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went down and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And the man answered, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. So Jesus has been at Jericho before uh, when he talked to Joshua. Now, this is the first time, though, in the New Testament that he has been there. Aren't you glad we serve a God that's not bound by the constraints of time? Amen? And uh, so he, this time when he comes to Jericho, the Bible records that he meets two men that he has a big impact on. One has rags, one has riches. One who was blessed, one who was blind. One who was a prosperous publican and one who was a penniless pauper. Uh, we have Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus. Zacchaeus was rich, but he did not have what it took to fill a longing soul. There is no amount of wealth 
No amount of things in the world that will answer the longing of your heart. And it will, Zacchaeus found that out. The other was blind, and he will be our focus today. Mark chapter 10, if you've got it, looking at the last part of the chapter in verse number 46, we'll start reading. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called, and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose, came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. I want to preach today on when the blind see, when the blind see. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes together here to learn what would be a help to our lives that we can apply. Help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we do not know this blind man's name. As you've read, you might say, yes, we do. It says he is Bartimaeus. Well, Bar in the New Testament, Bar means son of or son of Timaeus. Uh, that's why it gives a little explanatory statement that follows. Uh, Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. Uh, now, Jesus, though, is, for, for sake of this, we will call him Bartimaeus throughout this message, though, amen. Uh, Jesus is a name that everybody knew. Uh, everybody at that time uh, they, not everybody was supportive of him. There was a group that hated him, the Pharisees especially, and the religious leaders. So wherever he went, Jesus was followed and accompanied by a large crowd. We've already seen how he has fed 5,000 and he has done miracles and healed people. And when you do those type of things, you tend to attract a crowd. And this was, uh, these crowds followed Jesus wherever he went. Not only was these crowds supporters, but also enemies of his would follow as well, trying to trip him up and trying to get him to uh, cross, get himself in trouble, basically. They were never successful in that. In verse 46, we see that there was a great crowd of people around him, and among them a blind beggar that we're going to call Bartimaeus. History tells us that in the area of Jericho and surrounding was the balsam plant which they used in that day to treat, uh, to treat eye diseases and sickness of the eyes and even blindness. So there was an inordinate amount of people in and around Jericho that were blind. Now, there's something here that I love, that there's a large crowd around Jesus, but his attention is soon zeroed into one person. Jesus' ministry over and over throughout his earthly ministry was a ministry to one. He cared about the individual. I must needs go through Samaria, where he would talk to a woman at the well. He dealt with single individuals all the time. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Jesus Christ by grace you are saved. To the blind Bartimaeus of this world, that's good news. God loves you. 
God not only loves us as, in, as collectively as a people, but as individuals. And so in this story, we see a great opportunity. Here is Bartimaeus. He sits on the side of the road. He's on a worn-out mat wearing a tattered cloak. He is probably unshaven, uncombed. You see on him the dirt and the filth of Palestine. When you look into his eyes, you see a vast emptiness. He is deprived of sight. He's a stranger to the beauties of nature. He can hear the sounds of voices, but he cannot see the faces which are speaking to him. He is helpless and dependent. He's also poor. The Bible calls him a beggar. He is pitied for both, but responsible for neither. Because he, is, he begs because he is poor. He is poor because he is blind. And so there's no sin in what he is doing, no sin in his begging. He's not that he's lazy, he's blind. He's incapable of doing anything to make his own way. Although Bartimaeus is blind, he is not deaf. He has heard talk about Jesus. He may have heard about how Jesus healed a blind man on a recent trip to Jerusalem. Uh, he may have heard what Jesus told the followers of John the Baptist. Remember when John the Baptist sent people to him to question if Jesus was really the one. Jesus said, go back and tell John. Tell John this. Go your way, tell John what things you have seen and heard. How the blind see, the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. He might have heard about those words that were said. And so Bartimaeus thinks to himself, if I can only get close to Jesus, then I will be made whole. But what if, what if I can't get to him? Or what if he doesn't care about somebody like me? And yet he determined in his mind if the opportunity ever came, uh, because he has no one to introduce him to Jesus, he has no one to speak on his behalf, his one chance for healing is going to be all up to him. Well, one day he's sitting there and he hears a great crowd coming up the road and he thinks, well, this is going to be a good day because more people offers the opportunity for more kindness, right? If you're trying to beg alms, then uh, you want as many people as you can. And so he's uh, probably doing his shouting out alms for the poor, uh, shekels if you can spare. Then someone either told him or he overheard the talk that this is Jesus coming down the road. Uh, Jesus is in this group. Here was his opportunity. This was his one chance. And this is, I love the fervency which, with, with which he approached Christ because that's the fervency we need to have as well. Because we may not have tomorrow, friend. You might not have the tomorrow to come to Christ and you might not have tomorrow to get your life right with Christ. And so today is the day. There's no better time than right now to be a Christian living for Jesus Christ. Is our society messed up? Oh yes, it is messed up. Boys and girls not knowing if they're boys and girls and switching from one to the other. We live in a messed up time, no doubt. Uh, do we live in shaky times? Yes, we do live in shaky times. But hey, the darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. Amen? And I'm grateful that we live in the time that we do. But Bartimaeus thought to himself here, he had one chance and he's going to make it count. And so he yells out, Jesus, the Son of David... Have mercy on me. This is interesting to me here. This man may have lacked physical eyesight, but he saw things that others did not see. The, son, the title here, the son of David, is a messianic term. 
Uh, this tells me that Bartimaeus knew who Jesus was, the son of David. He is the Messiah. That's what he's saying with those words. Uh, because, and, and by the way, this is further than many people were going in that time. Uh, others called him rabbi. Some called him good man. Remember the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, 16. Good master, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And uh, so that's what people were calling, but not Bartimaeus. He called him uh, son of David. He confessed the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. Someone came to Helen Keller one time and said to her, It's such a pity that you have no sight. Helen Keller responded, Yes, but what a pity that so many have sight but cannot see. Bartimaeus saw, even though he had no sight. And then the Bible says many charged him. Uh, they were trying to hush him. They got around him and said, Hey, Hush up, uh, be quiet, Bartimaeus. The Hebrew word that many times they use was sheket, be quiet, stop talking, hush up, sheket. And so this is what they were saying to him. Uh, we don't have time to, for, to mess with you right now. Don't make a scene. Uh, do, you're going to bother Jesus. And can I tell you today, friends, and I'll quote an old president, you can read my lips, you can never bother Jesus, ever. Amen. Unlike him, I'm telling the truth. Uh, we've had great opportunity. We have great opposition. Many in the crowd begin to let Je uh, tell him to let Jesus alone. This was their king. He was going to establish his throne over the Romans, and this is what they thought anyway. Uh, they, he had no time to deal with a beggar uh, the, along the wayside, and so Bartimaeus to them was nothing more than a nuisance to the cause. How could a lowly beggar uh, get in the way and stop what was happening? Although Bartimaeus uh, uh, also... According to their thinking, probably Bartimaeus would be some great sinner. This is how they looked on people that had sicknesses and diseases like that. Do you remember when the disciples asked Jesus, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Remember that? They automatically thought if a person was blind or sick, then they must have done some sin to cause it. Did you catch that question, by the way? I always get a laugh when I read that. The disciples asked Jesus, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. When would the man have sinned to be born blind? Is he, you know, pulling bank jobs in the womb or selling drugs? I don't know how he would have done it, but I always thought that's an interesting question. That's not, that's beside the point today. Uh, despite the opposition though, Bartimaeus draws the conclusion, don't miss this, that he is qualified for Jesus to help. He probably reasoned within himself Jesus heals the sick. I am sick. Jesus heals the blind. I am blind. He saves sinners. I am sinner. I'm a sinner. He helps the poor. I am poor. He finds the lost. I am lost. He feeds the hungry. I am hungry. He realized in himself, I qualify for him to help me. Oh, can I tell you today, praise be to God Today, I can most assuredly uh, tell you today that you qualify for Jesus Christ to do a work in your heart and to change your life forever. Every single one of us in here today qualify for Jesus helping us. You'll never live for God, though, without opposition. Start doing anything for God, and that you'll face opposition and criticism. Biosphere 2 is an American Earth Science Research Facility that is located in Oracle, Arizona. It was created as a research tool for scientists to study 
things like plants and how they grow and different kind of things in a controlled environment, a dome covering uh, this that they could control the temperature and all these things. One of the most profound discoveries they made had nothing to do with a cure of some disease or a new farming technique. They found as they planted trees in this biosphere, they grew much faster than they grew outside the uh, dome because there's a perfect environment in there. And so these trees would grow very fast, but before they ever had a chance to mature, they would fall over. They wouldn't even be able to stand up by themselves. And so as they studied, they figured out finally that what the biosphere lacked was any sort of wind, any sort of resistance to the trees. And so as the trees grew, they had no resistance. They had nothing to strengthen the roots down under themselves. And so by the time they got big enough, they didn't have the strength even to stand on their own because of a lack of resistance. What they found is that with no resistance or opposition, the trees lacked the strength to even stand upright. The trees needed opposition in order to thrive in the long run. Guess what? You do too. We all need opposition. That's how we grow. That's how we strengthen ourselves. Uh, when you work out in the gym, you're certainly not going to get stronger by taking weights off. Amen? You're going to get stronger by adding resistance. That's how I did it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. I hate when people laugh at the wrong times. 1 Peter 5, 10. But the God of all grace who hath called us into eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish and strengthen you and settle you. One preacher put it this way, you face your greatest opposition when you're closest to your biggest miracle. This was Bartimaeus' case. Anybody, by the way, notice who was opposing him? This is interesting too. Followers of Jesus were opposing him. Can I tell you today, friend, that you sell your heart out for God, you get serious about serving God, and you sell out for Him, you're going to face opposition, not only from a lost and dying world, you'll face opposition within the church sometimes, with other saved people. And don't be discouraged from that, uh, because sometimes we get discouraged from uh, when we get the criticism of others and when we're just trying to serve God. I learned early in my ministry and in my Christian life that if I live to simply please people, I'll be very frustrated all the time. Uh, it's much easier to please one than it is to please a hundred. Amen? Live to please one. Uh, folks often who do the least for God are the loudest in their criticism. Let's not let them uh, discourage us. If you're sold out for God, keep going. Let the opposition strengthen you and give you wisdom. Don't fear opposition. Rather, anticipate it. Worry if you don't get it because if you get no opposition, forgive my English, you ain't going nowhere. Amen? But if you're going somewhere, you're going to face opposition. It is at the times of greatest opposition that you make the greatest impact. I read a story by Richard Wormbrand that wrote about a Romanian pastor who was in prison for years for preaching. And I quote this Romanian pastor. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted the terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching, and they were happy beating us. Everybody was happy. What a way of looking at serving God, amen? I mean, yes, it's going to cost us something. It's worth the cost. It's worth every bit of it uh, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great, there's no greater joy 
than serving him. So here was Bartimaeus. He was facing opposition. Uh, what did he do? I love what he did. He cried all the more, he said. Hey, that's good, Bart. Lift up your voice. Keep on crying for help from the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 36, uh, 34, 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. So he cried out all the more, the Bible says. This is my one chance. I'm not going to squander it. I'm not going to stop, he said. He cried out all the more, no matter the opposition. There was great opportunity. There was great opposition. There's also great optimism in him. When he did this, I want you to look some beautiful words here in verse number 49. The first four words. And Jesus stood still. That a great line. The, Jesus now not only seeks to help Bartimaeus, but he also wishes to teach a crowd, uh, the, the crowd a lesson too. So he tells them, you bring him to me. Could Jesus have went to him? Absolutely. That's not what he said though. You bring him to me. Jesus is forever asking us to bring people to him. Amen? Andrew did it. Uh, and and uh, Nathaniel did it. Uh, we see that all throughout the Bible. And he wants us to do it too. And so they brought him to him. It's funny. Look what they said to Bart. Be of good comfort. Be of good comfort. He calleth thee. second ago, they were saying, Shuck it! Shut up! Stop talking! Now, hey, Bartimaeus, good news. He wants to talk to you. And so he rose. Look at this too. I find this interesting. Casting away his garment. That, that a blind man would throw away one of his few possessions. Blind people in Bartimaeus' situation would not let their possessions get more than an arm length away. Otherwise, they would get have trouble retrieving it. All right, We don't have to think very hard to see that. I mean, where's my blanket? Okay, guys, this isn't funny anymore. And you're looking for your, you're looking for your robe. He, he would not throw it away. He'd keep it within length. But here, he cast it away. Uh, he may not ever find it again unless he's about to get healed, which I believe he had faith for. And then he comes to Jesus, and this is humorous. Uh, notice, by the way, in the prior verse, he did not cry out for merit. That's important. We don't have time to go down that road, but that's big too. He knew he didn't say he deserved to see. He wanted mercy. That's what all of us need. And so now, this is humorous to me. Jesus asks a question. What will thou that I should do unto thee? Seriously? Think about that question. Here's Bartimaeus. He's finding his way up to Jesus and people help him. Jesus, have mercy on him. So what do you want me to do for you? I mean, can you see Bartimaeus? Is he serious? Like, maybe uh, it's obvious to everybody else around him, but I think there's a principle here, and I think there's a reason that Jesus asked. I think that Jesus always wants us to acknowledge our need and articulate our need. It's interesting that Bartimaeus, not like so many of us, didn't pray, Oh, Lord, just pray that you bless me. No, no, no. He had a specific request. And by the way, specific prayers lead to specific answers. He said, Oh Lord, that I might receive my sight. And immediately, Jesus put him on a 12-step program. No, that is not what Jesus did. Do you know why? Because Jesus does the work. We don't do the work. He does the work. And we benefit from His work on our behalf. Praise God. Of course, the restoration of sight is a wonderful thing. But I want to focus on another miracle here. And just to do so, let me reset the scene, okay, to, make, to get the maximum impact of this miracle here. 
A crowd of people are making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. In that crowd is a man named Jesus, many who are ready to proclaim him king. As they make their way to Jericho, a blind beggar sits on the roadside. Uh, he is probably one of many beggars sitting along the roadside. But he is different because he does not call for money. He calls for mercy. And the crowd tries to silence him, and he cries even louder. And here is the other miracle I want you to see. Verse number 49, I read it a minute ago. And Jesus stood still. Do you remember the Old Testament story when the Amorite, God gave the Amorites over to Joshua and Joshua, they were fighting the battle and the battle was heated and Joshua cried out to God and God chose the, uh, 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 caused the sun to stand still to lengthen the day? Well, for Joshua, the S-U-N stood still. But for Bartimaeus, the S-O-N stood still. Is that a blessing? Jesus stood still. What a blessing. He didn't just pause. He didn't just slow down. He didn't just glance at him. Jesus stood still. The creator of the universe stopped in his tracks in response to the prayer of a blind beggar. God hears the humble cry of every sinner. Hallelujah. The standing still of our Savior to me is a greater miracle than the standing still of the sun so many years ago. You see, Jesus is on a mission here. He's on the way to the cross. He's actually in the very shadow of the cross. And in just a few days, all the cheers of this crowd is going to turn to jeers as the multitude turns against him. He's in the middle of the most stressful trip of his life. He is surrounded by a pressing crowd, yet in the middle of all this confusion and all this busyness and all this commotion, he heard a single cry, and praise God, he stood still. That's a wonder, isn't it? What a blessing. He's going to provide salvation for the entire world, but he stands still for one person. I love it. I just love that, that picture. Bartimaeus cried out, feared that Jesus would not hear him and pass on by. I think of the song in our hymnal, Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. And that was Bartimaeus's cry. And dear friend, can I tell you today, he won't pass you by either. If Jesus would stand still for a blind beggar, for a woman caught in adultery, for a tax-collecting thief, if Jesus will stand still for ten men with highly contagious diseases, uh, for a thief on the cross, if Jesus will stand still uh, for 5,000 hungry people, uh, for a mother whose daughter was demon-possessed, if He will stand still for those and all those others in the Bible as well, then He will stand still for you. He loves you just like He loved them. I wish we could go around this room today. We don't have time, but if we could just talk and take testimonies of different people whom Jesus stood still for. Oh, many of us would have stories about times that Jesus did that for us. In this room, there are those who have prodigal children, who have lost fortunes, who have, are dealing with illness, who have went through divorce, or uh, who have lost a spouse, and many other myriad of troubles that come upon us. And we have those who have called out to Jesus for mercy. And you know what? Jesus stood still, because He always does. I don't know about you, but that fires me up. The fact that we have a Savior that we can call out for help. Call unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a blessing that is. I want you to notice something else here that Jesus said. After he, uh, in verse 52, and Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Uh, in other words, what, if we put it in modern language, you're healed, now go do what you want. 
You think Bartimaeus might have had a bucket list? Think about it. Man, if I could see, I'd go visit the Grand Canyon. If I could see, or whatever bucket list might build up for himself. So that's what Jesus told him. You're he- the word bucket list isn't in here, but we're just taking a step further. You're healed. Now go fulfill your bucket list. Go thy way. Do what you want to do. Can I tell you that he wanted what every blood-bought child of God should want? Look what it says. He followed Jesus in the way. That's what he wanted to do. He didn't want anything else. I was 18 years old, and it was the summer before I went to Bible college. We had been out of the Amish at this time for just under eight years, and uh, my mother's parents uh, were my grandparents on my mother's side, so my maternal grandparents. Uh, we hadn't seen them. We were, uh, they were still Amish, very strong, and, and uh, we were under uh, com- uh, the ban or excommunicated from them, so we couldn't visit them or see them. So I had not seen them in over eight years, and of course we had been very close before this change had taken place before we became Christians. So uh, we, my mom and I were talking. We decided that I would take a trip and to visit them because when you, go to bio, when you go to college, it's just they're against education. It's just one more little notch against you. So I thought this might be a good time to go see Grandma and Grandpa. I took my sister, who was uh, two years younger than me, and then we took our youngest brother, who was just, just born at the time that we left, and now... Uh, now he was, they would have never seen him as a toddler and as a child, and now he's almost nine years old. And so uh, we decided we'd take him with us. Children can t- sometimes soften the blow. And so we, uh, it was about a six to eight hour trip away. We didn't call and let anybody know we're coming. Couldn't have called. We didn't write and let anybody know we're coming because they wouldn't have been there. They would take off and make sure they weren't there when we got there. So uh, we just kind of took that drive in faith. And, and uh, we got up there, and, and of course, I was scared to death. I hadn't didn't know what to expect. My mom had coached me and told me how things are going to be and how they might respond. And, and uh, so I got there. Uh, I knocked on the door um, of where I was going. No GPS. We were working off directions, you know. So knocked on the door, and the door opened, and there was my grandpa. Now, you have to figure how surreal this would be. There's no pictures. This is eight years after I saw him. I had seen him last when I was just a little kid. I'd spent summers at their house. I was very close with them. And so here's Grandpa, and it was kind of a Joseph situation. I knew him uh, right away. He did not know who I was. And so I did what very, very few people have to do or get to do, however you want to look at it. I introduced myself to my grandfather. And uh, it was not even four seconds, two seconds, just immediately, as soon as it was out of my mouth, who I was, take the car off the property. Take your car off the property. So I did drive out to the edge of his property on the county road there and, and then uh, he said I could walk back in after that and then we walked back and we went into the house and we got to spend some time with them it was a long story, it was a long 12 hours that we spent with them but uh, a lot of things happened but in that time, uh, there was a time that my grandmother and I were able to talk a little bit uh, she was in charge of that household and so she did most of the talking but uh, she uh, and I were talking and, and uh, she said at one time, the reason you believe in that once saved, always saved, is just so you can do what you want to do. You can claim this salvation, and then you're, say you're going to heaven when you die, and then you can go out and have electricity and drive cars and, and do all the things of the world, and that's why, that's why you claim that. You just want to do what you want to do. And I was thinking about that, and, and it's great when you're in conversation and the Holy Spirit helps you, isn't it? And I, I, uh, I, I came back to her with this. I said, yes, 
actually, Grandma, you're right. You're right. I got saved, and now I can do whatever I want to do. But I tell you what I want to do. I want to serve God with my life. I want to be a preacher one day. I'm going to go to school and learn how to be a preacher so that one day I can maybe be a pastor, be, work with young people, or help people to, I, by preaching. I want to serve God with my life. That's what I want to do. Hey, why would I want to live in sin? It destroys. Why would I want to live in an oppressive religion? It oppresses and keep, beats you down. See, here, and I don't want you to miss this, the fundamental misunderstanding of religious people who are lost is that living in sin is the ultimate reward. Think about that. So, because their life is all about, it's not a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's just about a list of things they can't do. And so, they're, they're doing this to make themselves a better person, but they are resenting the fact that they cannot involve themselves in these things which are wonderful, like sin. They look at even sin as wonderful. Let me give you a couple examples. They'll look at drunkenness as a restriction or the fact that they can't do it. Everybody but me is having fun. I have to sit here because I'm religious. Never mind the fact that alcohol destroys lives every day in this country. Fornication will seem like a restricted reward. I'm the only one I know who's not sleeping around because I'm a religious person. What a drag. Never mind the heartache, the sorrow, despair that loose living brings. Vices will be seen as a reward. Everybody but me is going to a casino and having fun, but I don't do those things because I am religious and not realizing all the destruction that comes from that as well. I'm simply saying today, sin is not a reward. And so when my grandmother says that as a religious person, that's how they see it. As a saved person, I'm saved out of that. Why would I want to go back to it? Amen? Sin is not a reward. Living for God is a reward. And so this, when he told blind Bartimaeus here, he said, hey, you can see now. Go do what you want to do. Blind Bartimaeus said, hey, I want to follow you. And I think that many times the reason that people get the wrong idea is that they see so many Christians with long faces and sour dispositions looking like they just suck pickle juice through a PVC pipe and I'm just suffering for Jesus and I'm a Christian and so I can't be happy. My soul, let's get some joy in our life. Let's get close to God. And One of the fruits of the spirits is joy. Amen? It's a good thing. It's a blessing. Don't be like those people who once you're gone, it's a beautiful sunny day, you know. Uh, while you're there, there's a cloud there. When... He came to Jesus. When he had his sins forgiven, he wanted to follow him. When you fall in love with him, when you get close as you can with him, like Paul, you will say, your number one goal is that I may know him. The pastor won't have to beg you to come to church. You'll want to go to church. Your Bible won't collect dust sitting on your shelf. You'll hunger to get into the Word of God. No one's going to have to force you to pray. It'll be the most natural thing in the world. This is Bartimaeus. When Jesus said that, go my way, Jesus, my way is your way. That's what that is. And friend, when your way becomes his way, you'll be just fine. Submit to God's providential support. God's providential support, short for that is GPS. Follow him and you'll never go the wrong direction. Amen. But there was some spiritual blindness here that we see in this story. See, Bartimaeus was weighed down by two great evils, blindness 
and poverty. It's bad enough to be blind, but to be both blind and poor is an awful condition to be in. Like Bartimaeus, we're all blind and poor by nature. We think that we can see, but spiritually we're blind. We're unable to recognize our lost condition. We're unable to behold the awfulness of our sin. We're unable to comprehend the terror of judgment to come. Can I just, just think along with me for a little bit? All three of those things. Do you remember before you were saved? You didn't think you were a bad person, right? Unable to comprehend the awfulness of sin. You didn't think you would go to hell. You're a decent person. Unable to comprehend uh, our condition. You see what I'm saying? When, when we're lost, we're blind. We're spiritually blind. The typical John Q. public out there is not shaking his fist at God, saying he wants nothing to do with him. He just does not see his condition. He does not recognize what his sin is going to do for him and to him. And so that's why God sends us. Besides our blindness, we're also poor. Our father, Adam, lost our inheritance and our wealth when they chose sin. All of us are blind and poor in a spiritual sense until we make Jesus Christ our Savior. And if this is you today, friend, can I tell you, cry out for mercy today. He will stand still for you, I promise. What is the first thing that Bartimaeus saw when he got cured of his blindness? Think about it. Jesus is healing however he does. You know, you can see now. Or what? Uh, One time he rubbed spit and mud in his eye. However he did it, uh, I think here it was just verbal. I'd like to see. Okay, zap, he could see. Wow, isn't that amazing? What's the first thing he saw? Jesus. That's the first thing he saw. Can I tell you today, if you're spiritually blind, that's what you need to see. You need to get a good sight of Jesus Christ. People got in his way. They told him to be quiet. They did their best to keep him from Christ. But this man was aware of his need, and he knew his answer was in Jesus. Can I say that again? He was aware of his need and he knew his answer was in Jesus. He knew that it was now or never for him. He refused to be intimidated by a crowd. In his desperation, Bartimaeus recognized his condition. He recognized who Jesus was and what Jesus could do. He knew this was the greatest opportunity uh, that, that he would ever see, that his opportunity could easily pass him by that the opportunity might never return. He didn't know that, but that was absolutely the truth because Jesus is on his way to the crucifixion. In a week from now, he won't even be around to heal Bartimaeus. And so Bartimaeus indeed was looking at his last chance. I want to ask you today, have you responded? You don't know when your last chance will be. It could be today. None of us have a promise for tomorrow. None of us have any kind of uh, pledge that we'll be here a certain amount of years. This may be your last chance right now in this room together. Do you know who Jesus is? As Bartimaeus did, he is the Lord of the ages. He is the King of kings. He has defeated the powers of sin and death. The whole story that we've read today, this is a picture of salvation. You have the greatest opportunity of your life today, friend. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, to do that before you even leave. And can I tell you, don't let opposition get in your way. Don't let embarrassment or somebody might see me or all those different things that cloud our vision to see the importance of salvation don't let that get in the way today get it settled you may be a christian here and you've been running from god and you know you need to get back to him this might be your last opportunity you don't know that's why the bible tells us seek ye the lord while he may be found 
when he speaks to our heart, that's when we need to respond. You have no promise for tomorrow. Don't deal with God on your terms because you don't know, you, you cannot live how you want to and change when you want to. You can't do that. You don't know if you have a when in front of you. You have no promise of tomorrow. Not in salvation and not in the Christian life. Do you see this in the way that you witness to others? We need to. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to witness to somebody or to give somebody the gospel, it may be their last chance. You don't know it. God knows it. That's why we need to be obedient. Amen? We need to be obeying in all areas of our life. We're not living in the world of the living. We're living in the world of the dying. And so we need to follow after he that gives light. Bartimaeus had the right spirit. Eagerness to get to Christ. Persistent in the face of adversity. And when he did, a blind man saw. When you do the same, come to Jesus Christ. And you ask him to heal you of your spiritual blindness. Lord, I need you. That's how the blind see. Amen? Every one of us can take part of that. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.